Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Well, we are at the end of a series that we've been enjoying this Christmas called Oh Glorious Light, where we explore themes of light and darkness and what God has been doing among us at Christmas and what the Bible says about light and darkness. Because light and darkness are kind of two sides of the same coin in some ways, because it's all about how we see, right? Light and darkness is all about what we see. It's not very complicated when you say it that way. Now, When you look at things, you look through a lens. You and I all look through particular lenses. I look through lenses because if I don't, I'm extremely blind. I need these lenses in order to see. But all of us look through different socio-cultural lenses, tradition lenses. And particularly when we come to something like Christmas, it's so wrapped up in tradition sometimes that we don't even realize what lenses we look at. But if you go across the globe, there are people celebrating Christmas everywhere and looking at it through different lenses. So I'll give you one example. Well, I'll give you more than one. In the Netherlands, you might find that on Christmas Eve, children are putting their boots by the fire in the hope that Sinterklaas, which is how they say Santa Claus, will come and fill it with small treats for the morning. So they just have boots full of treats, which I guess is like stockings, but actual boots. So if I'm a parent in the Netherlands, I'm careful about my children's activity the night before. Like, I don't need sweaty candy going into their mouth the next day or anything like that. Um, If you, though, lived in Caracas in Venezuela... A, you'd probably be Catholic, because they mostly are, and then B, you'd skate to Catholic Mass on Christmas morning, because that's tradition in Caracas. They roller skate to Mass. And then I assume there's a disco ball, but maybe I'm just putting that on. Um, If you grew up in South Africa, as I know some people in this room did... (laughs) Now, I want to fact check this. You might have looked forward to eating fried caterpillars at Christmas? (laughs) <laughs> pine, pine tree emperor moths, this is not a South African delicacy. Snopes, where you at? <laughs> ah. Well, I'll tell you what is a delicacy, and I lived in Japan for a year. In Japan, to celebrate Christmas, on Christmas Eve, everyone eats Kentucky Fried Chicken. This is not a joke. About 30 years ago, KFC, and I don't think it's meant to be as clever as it ended up being, just said, KFC, Kentucky for Christmas, and the Japanese were like, yes. And now they buy copious amounts of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And KFC are like, oh, I guess we just put up the price. So they pay extra to eat KFC on Christmas Eve. The Japanese don't even really celebrate Christmas, but every Christmas Eve, KFC. Here's my favourite, though. In Iceland, a giant cat is said to roam the countryside at Christmas, and good Icelandic workers get a new set of clothes, and bad workers get devoured by the Yule Cat. (laughs) Maybe that's why... You know, it's such a good economy in Iceland. They've been working, I don't know, they've been working really hard. Just avoid the Yule Cat? I don't know. But it's the same holiday, different perspectives, different traditions, different lenses that we see this stuff through. Praise God we don't have the Yule Cat in Australia. So today's scripture is a famous passage. It comes from the book of Isaiah. It's one of the predictive prophecies about the birth of Jesus. It's written about 700 years before Jesus was born. And in this time, they were in exile. The Jewish people were in exile. They'd been carried off, captured, killed, defeated in every way, shape, or form imaginable. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, the Persians. Take your pick. The Israelites were just in a time of being conquered. And so into this comes Isaiah. 
And he says, first of all, everyone, it's because of your unfaithfulness to God that you've been conquered. And everyone's like, cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Still conquered, though. So maybe something a bit more uplifting. And so we get this in chapter 9. He starts to speak of something different. He starts, stops talking about why the Israelites are enslaved and starts talking about how they're going to be liberated because we serve a liberating God. And in, in, in Isaiah is specifically prophesying about the coming of Jesus. In verse 1, he says this, It'll be Galilee that will be honoured, that those who were in gloom will have no more distress. Now, there is nothing exciting about Galilee in the time of Isaiah. But 700 years later, Jesus would be raised there in a little town called Nazareth. And he would do most of his ministry in the region surrounding it. And Galilee would be the place where a bright light shines for the world. Bright light coming from unexpected places. Now, Isaiah then moves on to talk about our Christmas theme this year, darkness and light. And he famously tells the people that those living in darkness have seen a great light. But then he goes on to help us understand that this is not just personal. It's not just psychological. This is national. The entire nation of Israel. You're in darkness now. You're in enslavement, but you will see a light. You will receive freedom. This is where you can sense the Israelites are like, oh, all right, all right, keep going. You know, they're enjoying this part. In fact, he goes on, not only will a light dawn in this darkness, but it will be an enlarged nation with increased joy. Now, the word used here, the Hebrew word ravah, means to increase or to multiply. So, how will this happen? How will this increase happen? Well, Isaiah says it's the presence of God. The presence of God will be the cause of Israel's increase. The New, the New International Version says they will rejoice before you. The NASB says they will be glad of your presence. I love that. They'll be glad of your presence. So the presence of God will bring joy, increase, multiplication, and light. But it doesn't stop there. The, this light from God, says Isaiah, will see farmers rejoice at the harvest, warriors at their plunder. He will cause the end of yokes being on people's shoulders, that is, the end of oppression for people under oppression. The warriors' boots that were used in battle and the garments that are covered in blood from battle will be thrown into the fire and will be no more. And the Israelites are up on their feet cheering if they're hearing this, going, yes, tell us when my mighty conqueror is going to come in and free us. And Isaiah would have gone, I think you've misheard me. Because it's not a mighty conqueror. It's not a mighty conqueror. See, the language that seems like a mighty warrior will come in and defeat the enemies is not driven by military victory. It's not driven by conquest or aggression. It's driven by peace. It's driven by peace. They aren't warriors dividing plunder. It's just that the presence of God among them will bring them the same sense of joy and accomplishment as if they've won a great battle. They aren't actually farmers reaping a harvest, but the presence of God among them is so strong that it is as if they have just reaped the greatest harvest of their lives. It's not that they have won in a battle to defeat their enemies, the God, that God has done it for them. And then the final words of verse 5 point to the end of warfare forever. Not just once, not just in overthrowing the Assyrians or Babylonians or whoever's oppressing them at this time but the end of war, something which we all crave. The great point of this prophecy, though, friends, is this. Isaiah doesn't want us to demand God's power. That's what the Israelites did. But to long for God's presence. See, the Israelites were looking for a military conqueror. 
They said, we've been taken over. Now we need to overthrow them and take them over. We will be the dominant ones. And God says, I'm already dominant. I don't need to win any military victories. I am already God. I'm not worried about what's going on down here. But instead he says, crave my presence, crave my presence. This light, the presence of God will bring a lot more than victory over enemies. It brings peace. And the Israelites through their lens, they struggled to see it through that lens. They wanted a warrior. They wanted a king. They wanted a conqueror. And they got a baby. Didn't work the way they thought. Instead of the power of God, they got the presence of God. And we do the same thing as the Israelites, I think. We're looking for the power of God in our lives, but God's wanting us to look for the presence of God in our lives. We want God to turn up and fix our problems, even though most of us know that's not exactly what God has promised. He's not a genie. It's like we've got a fisheye lens on, you know, the iPhone fisheye lens. Here's a little example up behind us. You know, it's not that our view is wrong exactly. It's just a bit distorted. That's still the picture that we're seeing, but we've got this distorted, narrow view because it's shaped by the lens we're looking through. It's shaped by the lens of our desires, our cravings, our desperate need to say, God, swoop in like Superman, solve my problems for me, but only on my terms, and then go back over there until I need you again, please. I need more than three wishes. Thank you. And God says, this isn't how it works. See, God is present in our problems. He is present. And his power is with us. And it's being brought to bear on every aspect of our lives. But the bit we're missing is that we don't pray for presence in order to get the power of God. The presence of God is the power of God. When God turns up, the power of God is there. He's God. He doesn't need to suddenly flick a switch and go, now the power's on. Pentecost, Acts 2, the disciples are praying in the upper room. The power of God comes upon them. Tongues of fire rest on them. They start speaking in tongues. And we see God move in power. How? Through people. Through people. The presence of God and the power of God are in the same place in you and me when we have Jesus in our lives. It's the disciples who display the power of God through the Holy Spirit. So if we get to the second half of this prophecy, the one we all like, that unto us a child is born part. And we feel frustrated that it hasn't come about yet because it talks about an endless rule of perfect governance. And we all look around and go, eh, maybe not, maybe not. That there isn't a kingdom of justice and righteousness carried hand in hand yet, that there doesn't seem to be an everlasting reign of goodness and grace yet. If we get frustrated about that, we need to ask ourselves two big questions. The first one is this, are we playing our part in shining God's light? Are we remembering that we carry the presence of God with us? And the second thing is this. Are we looking for the king to come again? Are our lenses distorted? Have we gone fish-eyed? Are we demanding from God what he's already promised to us, what he's already given to us? Are we asking for something? God said, it's yours. You're asking for a gift I've already given. You're demanding a promise that I've already made for you. What do you want? You have the presence of God. You have the power of God. It's here. Are we demanding that? Nobody, friends, believes in the Yule Cat. I know there are kids in the room, but kids, the Yule Cat's not real. The Yule Cat is not real. I think I'm actually doing them a favor there. Yet everybody in Iceland is still asking for new clothes every Christmas. 
It's like we're saying, no, no, we know. We know God's not a genie, but we still want the new clothes every Christmas. We, we know it's not real like that, but we still want him to just swoop in and, and save us like Superman. Now, I'm not talking about when we are in the depth of our despair. And I'm also not saying that God doesn't do the miraculous. He absolutely does. He intervenes in miraculous, incredible ways. What I'm saying is sometimes I think we mistake God isn't doing the miraculous for we aren't doing anything at all. We sometimes forget about that when we look at Jesus through a fish-eye lens. And it's so important for us to remember at Christmas, friends, that the light of God shines in the world the most when we remember that the wonderful counsellor, the everlasting Father, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace has come, has given his power and is coming back again. We've got to ask ourselves, one, are we standing in the promises of God? Two, are we remembering that the King is coming back again? Because Christmas is when Jesus was born, but there is a time still to come when God is coming back in all his fullness to restore all of creation to its original intent. And you and I, you and I are not off to the side. We are the vehicles God is calling us to see the kingdom of God breaking right now, to see change happen right now, to see the goodness and grace of God break into the world right now. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.